All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Mindful Hunter podcast. I'm your host, as always, Jay Nickel. Somewhat interesting episode this week as I'm recording from Mexico. I'm in uh, Cabo at the Hyatt Ziva Resort, took off with the family, were away for Christmas, and like really away for Christmas. Basically took off for 10 days, almost five days perfectly, either side of Christmas, and uh, yeah, just decided to get away. Obviously with you know, the second round of kind of nonsense incoming. It was a bit touch and go whether we were going to be able to leave, but we were able to sort things out and get out of the country no problem. We're down here in Mexico. And I got to say, everybody's pretty pretty mask heavy down in Mexico. Like the Mexicans wear them constantly, inside, outside, doesn't matter. Walking down the street, fully masked all the time. And I, I mean, with how hot it is, I don't know how they do it, but everybody's super polite about it. Nobody's rude. If you forget yours or walk into someplace, they don't don't freak out. Sometimes they'll like gently remind you. Sometimes they don't say anything at all. It's pretty low key. And other than that, it's business as usual. Like people are, are pretty polite and respectful of people's private spaces, but other like personal space, I mean, but other than that, you wouldn't really know much is going down. And it seems like Everything's pretty okay down here. Um, so yeah, that's that's where I'm at. I'm sitting in Mexico. I'm sitting in my my room right now, kind of staring out the window at a kick-ass blue sky, ocean, whole nine yards. So this week, we are going to dive into my recent whitetail hunt. I am going to go over an in-depth gear list, and then I'm also going to break down the hunt because I think it is interesting. Um, I've never really done much whitetail or tree stand hunting before, very minimally, like one or two days this time I was in Montana, but that was about it. So it was a totally new experience for me. Had a blast, shot a doe on the last day. Um, I'll get into all the details, but that's what we're going to dive into today. Now to kind of all the housekeeping, as usual, the, the real big one is leaving reviews. If you, you on your podcast platform of choice, if you could give me a rating and leave a review, take 30 seconds, it really helps push it up the charts and then more people hear about it. I always really appreciate that. And then if you're on another platform, likes, comments, shares, subscribes, all of those are super appreciated. And if you want to support the podcast directly, go buy some merch, mindfulhunter.com slash shop. T-shirt, hat, stickers, whatever you want. Okay, without with that out of the way, we're going to get into our regular columns for the week. So what's my weight at? Well, if you follow me on Instagram, you'll know that I hit 271. And if you don't follow me on Instagram and you're curious what 261 pounds at six foot one looks like, go have a look. It's a post, I don't know, five or six posts down my grid. And I kind of compared myself to... Did I throw up a comparison shot? I did. Let me check what I compared myself to. Oh yeah, so exactly a year ago. I threw up a pick a year ago at 261 pounds and then a pick this year at 271 pounds. So this is kind of worth chatting about for those people trying to put on some size or just people curious about the process. So basically I peaked last January at 264 pounds. 
And it was like a pretty sloppy 264 pounds. And I peaked this year at 271 pounds. And believe it or not, it was actually slightly less sloppy at 271. Still not a tight package by any stretch, but a little tighter. Um, so I'd say it's pro I feel like it's probably reasonable I put on 10, 10 new pounds, um, have a little bit less fat. But that, for people who are, let's say, in the first 10 years of like a really intense lifting journey, even though I've been lifting for more than 20, I've never bulked super, super hard like I have for the last three years. I'd say like seven, eight new pounds per year. And then maybe realistically, if four or five pounds of that was contractile tissue, like legit new lean mass, I would call that a success. Like that would be a real good year. And to put things in perspective, I didn't bulk real hard the first half of the year. I wanted to try and do more of that main gaining style. And then I, I don't know, man, I just wasn't getting excited by that. Like I need to see change. And even if you do get a bit fluffy, I feel like to put on true size, you just gotta eat a shitload of food and pick up heavy shit and get a bit fluffy and worry about shaving the fat later. So for the second half of the year, like after my sheep hunt, I just went balls out. Um, and I do feel like I made more progress. So maybe if I did that all year, I could have, oh, excuse me. Maybe if I did that all year, I could have put on even a couple more pounds. But I'm also somewhat skeptical about that because you're really beating the shit out of yourself. Like walking around at 271 pounds sucks and eating all that food sucks. So again, I'm happy with my output for the year because I feel like if I had pushed it harder sooner, I just would have ran out of gas sooner or would have decided to take the foot off the pedal sooner because you know the wheels would have started to fall off. So anyways, that's, that's where I'm at. And I'm just kind of holding firm. I don't, I don't really feel the need to put on anymore. But what came out of that was I sent pictures to my old coach, Dom Cardone, and he decided to take me back on as a client. He was like, yeah, anytime, man. And he, he does believe I'm ready to do a show, uh, which he did not believe last year when I was 261. And now looking at those pictures side by side, I can see what he was waiting for because I'm going to lose a lot of weight. Like there's a lot of fluff there. And if we don't have some legitimate size, I'm just going to look like a tall, skinny guy on stage, and I, I'm, I don't want to embarrass myself. So with that, prep is full steam ahead. I think I'm aiming for a show late May, early June, which gives me, you know, 20, 24 weeks, kind of depending on how things shake out. So I think we're just going to clean things up for the next four to six weeks and then really dive into a prep, but I'll keep you guys posted. Um, there's some other news regarding the goat hunt that I'll get into next week, but essentially the focus for the next six months from a physical activity perspective is going to be 100% concentrated on bodybuilding. And the reason for that is I don't think I can succeed at this unless I give it my true focus. And I'm actually going to do a whole podcast on that in a little bit. Okay, so weights 271, doing a show, awesome. Now, because I'm at a resort, the gym here is actually really good. Like for a resort gym, I'm pretty impressed. Like dumbbells go all the way up to 100. They got a nice cable machine. 
uh, bench press, incline bench press, you know, quad extension, ham curl. If they had a power rack, that'd be the one piece that I kind of wish they had. There's really no place to squat. And there's no big leg machines like leg press or hack squat. But for a resort gym, I'm super impressed. So I'm basically doing like a, a three or four day split. I think I'm gonna try and do a leg day today, but I, if there's enough equipment, what I might do instead is do like a leg day and biceps and then mix that in with my other days, which is like a chest and front shoulder day, back and back shoulder day, and then arms. And I might split up arms into two days and do like, a, like legs and biceps, chest, legs and triceps, back, rinse and repeat. And then I might just, because it really is the only quad extension to ham curl, the only leg things here. And I might just go balls to the wall and like 10 sets of each of those or something to failure um, and just try and blow out the legs doing that. Now, as far as diet goes, I'm at a resort, man, and I'm just chilling out and eating food. I'm, I don't really care how much protein I get. I don't really care what my calories are. Um, I'm erring on the side of caution and keeping quite a bit of food uh, in me because I would rather come back a little chubby than lose any of my gains. And I'm trying to eat as much meat as possible to keep the protein high. But other than that, um, just trying to chill out and mentally reset so that when I get home, I can just really you know, drive to that kind of deep mental focus that I'm gonna need, and I, you know, refreshing the mental space is a pretty good idea before doing something like that. So, oh, gear of the week. I wanna talk about my power bars, my battery packs, um, because this is something you buy for hunting, but can be useful uh, in a variety of situations. So I use an, I have two of them. I have an Anchor 20,000 watt. I don't know why I'm yawning so much today. We just came up from the pool and I think it was just laying in the sun. It's just kind of baked my brain a little bit. So I have an Anchor 20,000 watt and I have an Anchor 10,000 watt Power Slim. Both of them bought off Amazon. One was like 60 bucks, one was like 40 bucks. I love these things. The only thing that kills these things is if you just stick them away for the season and then don't take them out again for like seven or eight months. If you do that, these will die. Batteries need to be charged and exhausted on a somewhat regular basis, at least every couple of months in order to stay alive. And that was my last one died, that's how it died. It just sat in the bottom of a tote for seven, eight months and I took it out and it, it, it didn't work anymore. But other than that, I've never had a problem with the Anchor products. I have the same solar charger and I really like it. So that's your gear tip of the week. So I'm just gonna pull up my gear list for Whitetail, and I'm just gonna walk through it. Um, all right, so I took my Kafaru Fulcrum and Duplex Light Frame, as always. I do think that if I was to do this again, I would just want a small day pack. Because all of the stands were accessible by side-by-sides, there was never really gonna be a situation where I needed to haul meat out in my backpack. So, and getting that big pack up into some of those tree stands was a pain in the ass. So I would prefer a smaller day pack for this type of hunt. 
I brought my Mr. Buddy, that little heater, because a guy I knew who was, who was on the hunt before I got there told me to bring it, but I never used mine. Um, I was pretty set for clothing and I never got even close to the point where I needed a, a heater in the stand with me. So for gear, let me walk through this for clothing. I'm just trying to organize this so it comes across and well, I'll just read the list as it is in my, and then we'll go through how I actually wore everything. So here's what I took. The Sitka Fanatic jacket, the Sitka Kelvin Aerolite jacket, Sitka Stormfront jacket, Sitka Core heavyweight bottoms, Sitka Kelvin light down three quarter pant, Sitka Stormfront pants, Sitka Fanatic gloves, Sitka Fanatic Windstopper beanie, my mech insulated booties, a mech long sleeve base layer, a Sitka Core heavyweight hoodie, Arcteryx Modus AR long john bottoms, Sitka Fanatic bibs, Sitka Jetstream beanie, Schnee's pack boots, winter socks, my arcade stretchy belt, Sitka Stormfront gloves and liners, my mechanics wear gloves. Um, okay, that's it for clothes. Now there's a ton of stuff, but here's the deal. I actually ended up wearing the same five things every single day. So the first sit that I went out for, and I'll, I'll break down the hunt after this, but the first sit I went out for, I wore the Sitka Core heavyweight bottoms and I wore a Heli Hansen, uh, like maybe a 220 Merino base layer and then I wore the Sitka Core heavyweight hoodie and then the Fanatic jacket and the Fanatic pants. And what I found was the Sitka Core heavyweight bottoms and the Heli Hansen heavyweight top were too thick. And I basically felt, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, like really constrained and uncomfortable. And I think because there wasn't enough room in my clothing system. It, it was actually almost making me colder to a degree. So when I went back in from that sit, before I went out for the evening sit, I switched to the Arcteryx Modus AR bottoms, which for me, for a long john, the single best long john I've ever worn. And it, it's, it's very versatile. Like it won't overheat when it kind of warms up, but it still helps keep you warm when it gets cool. So I haven't tried anything else that's come even remotely close to that for like a do it all long john. And I've, and I've had those on several hunts now and some pretty extreme hunts as well. And then I got rid of the Heli Hansen heavyweight Merino top and instead went with like a lightweight mech base layer. Whatever that stuff is, it's like, a, I don't even know, it's gotta be some type of uh, poly, uh, polyester blend. I don't know, it's definitely synthetic, a little bit stretchy. Lots of like the mech name brand stuff is made out of this shit. I don't know exactly what the fabric is, but it's super light and super thin. And I wore that under the core heavyweight hoodie. And that combo, so like those five pieces, the two thin base layers, the thicker base layer hoodie, the heavyweight hoodie, and then the, and then the Fanatic bibs and jacket 
I wore those five pieces nonstop for the rest of the hunt and it was perfect. I never had to get out of a stand. I stayed quite warm uh, the whole time. So all that other shit that I rhymed off, the Sitka Fanatic gloves, I'm not a huge fan of, only because the sizing. I have several pairs of Sitka gloves, all in extra large. The Stormfront gloves and the Stormfront or the Blizzard mitts fit perfectly. The Fanatic gloves are way, way, way too small. Like I can't, I can't even wear them for 10 minutes and my hands are almost hurting from, from how small they are. So, and I think that's the biggest ones they sell, to be honest with you. I don't think they have any bigger ones. So that was a kind of a loss for me. Those were not as good as I was hoping for. So, but I wasn't so cold that I was wearing, I was wearing those mechanics glove most of the time. And that was really all I needed. And then when I wanted to, I put on those blizzard uh, synthetic insulated mitts when I needed to. And that kind of got me through the rest. Um, all right, let me, now did I talk about my boots yet? Right. <clears throat> So boots, that would be the other thing. Schnee's boots, 200 gram Thinsulate liner, a pair of snowboarding socks. My toes were a little chilly. Nothing that got me out of the stand, maybe like a five or six out of 10, as far as how cold my feet were. I think what I would like to do is maybe invest in a pair of the 400 gram Thinsulate liners from Schnee's. Those things are so hot that even if you had to walk 200 meters, you'd end up with sweaty feet. But I think if you're just on a side-by-side -side riding to a stand and then just sitting in the stand all day, I think a 400 gram liner is probably a fantastic choice. So that was, I, I would do that for next time if I was going for like a deep winter stand hunt. Um, I don't think I really have any other notes for clothing. Nope. Okay, um, weapon and camera gear. I took my Hoyt ProDefiant 34. I had a front stabilizer, back stabilizer, shot iron wheel broadheads, S125s, Black Eagle Rampages. My whole arrow setup, including point weight, is probably about 575 grains, and I'm shooting an 80-pound bow. I had my Sony Alpha 1 with the Deity mic. I had a 24 to 70 on there. I uh, took two GoPros and a couple of mounting options. So I took the stabilizers off for a day or two, thinking it didn't matter for 20 or 30 yard shots. And also because there wasn't really, it made it difficult to get in the side-by-side -side and to get in the tree stand with the stabilizers on. But I did some practice shot shooting on the end of the second night and I really don't like how my bow shoots without a stabilizer. Um, I, I like a heavier bow that's a little deader in hand um, and, and the, the pin settles a lot quicker for me and stays settled a lot quicker for me. But, so I put those back on and I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend taking them off. Here's the funny thing about the camera gear, man. I, it was a lot of learning lessons for me being up in in those tree stands. There really wasn't a way, I didn't have like a clamp or a rig to hook up the big camera. So it never even came out of my bag until it was time to take some shots of the deer. And I kind of decided halfway through the first sit, I was gonna make a film out of this. And then I was like, 
it's kind of a boring film. Like I'm not the one who set the stands up. Some dude is literally just dropping me off. I sit in a stand until some dude picks me up and then I shot a deer. Like, yeah, there was some challenge there as far as sitting that long and the rest of it, but I don't know. Didn't really feel film worthy to me. So I just started leaving all my stuff at camp and I would keep my camera in my camera bag inside my backpack in case I had to take some cool pictures. Other than that, I had some GoPros, which I caught some cool deer footage with and, and that, was, that was about it. So learning lesson there, either need a, a proper rig because you wouldn't have fit a tripod up in those stands anyway, um, or just leave the big camera gear at home. I took a bunch of other stuff that I never ended up using, like some thin, um, uh, what, do you, what do you call them? Shit. The foldable Thermarest. Thermarest foam pads. Brought some of those as seats, but ended up not needing them. Could have left those at home. Um, just going through the rest of my, yeah, I brought the MSR reactor to cook coffee. Didn't need that. Brought some headlamps, my Black Diamond Revolts. I did end up using those. And that was about it, man. Not much for gear for this hunt because as I mentioned, uh, everything was taken care of. I was staying in a lodge. Um, I'll get into the hunt next, but basically that's, um, that's why there wasn't, wasn't really extensive need for gears that everything was taken care of for me. But I do think it was important to note those lessons learned about slightly warmer boots, better insulation, um, thinner base layers and less clothing actually creates more warmth and more mobility. So that was a big lesson for me. Didn't use any of my puffies underneath that system. And I was blown away by how quiet that Fanatic system is. This is the first time I've ever run anything like that. And I was, I was severely impressed. Um, yeah, so there you go. So up next, what I will do is I will break down the actual hunt. So let me back up and give some context. At the forestry company I used to work for, we got this contract in the Okanagan and it was like way in the hell, middle of nowhere and there was no place to stay. And the area manager for that particular contract found this outfitter, Melvin, who owned Kettle River Guides. And because it was off season for him, we rented his cabins. And I even think they cooked and like, they, they organized some kind of day rate anyways for the whole facility and brought in a cook in the whole nine yards. And the guys loved going out there. Cabins were great. Anyways, it worked out really good. And Luke, the guy who ran that show, used to tell me about Melvin and his guiding and all the hunts. And early on, I went on the website and I saw that he had this kind of late season archery whitetail hunt. It was only three days long. It's kind of affordable at like 2,500 bucks. Uh, supposed to be pretty target rich environment. And that had to be, I bet you that was almost eight, nine years ago when I first found out about this hunt. No. Maybe, well, yeah, it could be. Anyways, doesn't really matter. What I'm trying to say is that I've known about this hunt for a long time and I've wanted to do this hunt for a long time, but just because of scheduling and other stuff, I've never, I've never been able to make it happen. But this year, I kind of remarked offhandedly to my wife. I was like, hey, how would you feel if I took off for three days and did a whitetail hunt? And it just, the dates happened to fall in a way that she was pretty amenable. And she's like, yeah, go for it. So I was like, sweet. So I, I emailed Melvin and Tammy. 
I set it all up. I was super excited. Uh, and then, unfortunately, um, and it's kind of, I wouldn't, wouldn't say it's like general news now, but it is, it is known. Melvin, Melvin passed, and Melvin had a heart attack out in the field while he was moving some stands. Uh, and I wasn't sure what was going to happen with the hunt. Obviously, I, I didn't give a shit as far as my own personal, you know, desires. Whatever they wanted to do, I was happy to do. If they wanted to keep the hunt on, I'm, I, I was more than down to come and hunt. And if they if they wanted to cancel it because they didn't want to focus on having hunters in, that was totally fine with me too. And I guess Tammy decided that uh, with the two the two old guys who'd been working with them all season, they wanted to finish it out and get the hunters through camp. And I can kind of understand that too. finish things off on a clean note. There was only a couple of weeks left of the season. So they decided to keep the hunt on, but I just wanted to bring that up because, you know, Melvin's pretty well known in the industry and he's a pretty good guy with a very long, reputable past. And just my condolences to Tammy and, and everyone who knew Melvin, because that's, that's unfortunate. So I did go out. Now, it was tricky to get out there. And if you live in British Columbia and you understand the flooding situations and driving around British Columbia, I'm not going to dig into all the details, but it was, uh, the roads were tricky to get through. And the first night I tried to get through, the roads were actually closed. There had been some down hydro wires. So I kind of doubled back to Hope, grabbed a hotel. They thought it was going to be clear by 3.30 in the morning. So I set my alarm, got up at 3.30, Road was wide open, hopped in the truck, smashed it out to Rock Creek. Took me, I want to say five and a half hours, uh, which wasn't too bad. It was definitely better time getting there than getting back. Getting back took a lot more time because I was kind of sitting in traffic, but it was really the ideal time to kind of drive through. But it got me there a little bit late. So normally they go out at like 6, 6.30 for that morning hunt, and I didn't get to camp until probably 8.30, but I still had enough time for a late morning sit. So ran into my room, great cabin. Everybody was super friendly. They helped me all get squared away, set everything up and um, hopped in the side-by-side and we headed out for a late morning sit. So got to the stand. It's a bit of a pain in the ass getting up to it simply because I'd brought too much gear thinking I was going to film the whole thing. And that was another reason why I decided to kind of lighten up and just have a fun hunt and not film anything because I wasn't into making everybody's lives difficult and making my own life difficult. So um, now being this is my first, so first stand hunting, what have I done before? Well, I was in an elk hunt in Montana maybe four years ago and there was a couple nights where just due to scheduling and whatnot, I couldn't get out to the field to hunt elk. So there was these stands where you can go sit for whitetail. And I sat there two nights, maybe three, four hours a night but that's the only stand hunting I've ever done. That's not actually, I've done a little bit more. I've done a couple evening sits up at Lander's place for bear. He's got this one place called the upper field, which no longer exists. Um, somebody bought it and turned the place into a gravel pit, but there used to be a big old double, double ladder stand up there that I've sat in a couple nights waiting for bear. But anyways, Long story long, I've barely sat in any tree stands. So it, it, it took me a little while to kind of get the lay of the land and figure out like, okay, where am I supposed to, you know, if you sat in tree stands, you know what I'm talking about. It's like, you, you know, you can't take too many things out of your bag because you start tripping over things and things start falling on the ground. 
but you also don't wanna to leave too much shit in your bag because if you want something at a crucial moment, you're not exactly gonna be able to unzip your bag and reach in and get it. So it's this kind of like weird game of like how much stuff do I keep out and at the ready and how do I have all this stuff out without making this place a cluttered mess so I can still actually draw back a bow. So the first sit, sat for the morning, saw nothing. Went back to camp, had some lunch, changed my base layers, went back out to a completely different spot, had a night sit. This was like an old school wooden kind of handmade stand. It was pretty cool. Uh, sat there, it was right on a river bottom. There was lots of traffic. Again, I didn't see anything. No does, no nothing. So first deer, first day, zero sightings of anything, two sits, maybe six, seven hours out in the stands in total. Um, I think, and I what was this? This was like December 12th or 13th, I think. If I was to do this hunt again, the season, the archery season opens December 1st, I would have started my hunt December 1st because essentially you're trying to catch any remnants of the rut that you can. And they just, I think they'd gone back to, the bucks had primarily gone back to nocturnal behavior because I, we just weren't seeing any action. Some of the other guys in camps were, there was two other guys in camp, just my first day, they were there for their last day. And then the last two days of my hunt, I was the only hunter in camp. So go back to camp, have a great, have a great meal, meet the rest of the guys. Also, it was pretty cool. This guy that we'd gone back and forth on Instagram a bunch, Bob Stetcher was in camp. So we did a podcast from camp that night. That was super fun. And then got to bed in, in decent time to get up early the next morning. Got up early the next morning. Like the typical routine was like hitting the kitchen for like 5.45, grabbing a cup of coffee, heading back to my room, getting dressed, checking some work emails, taking care of some stuff. And then depending on what stand you were heading to, maybe getting out of camp for, for 6.30. So we drove to a, a third stand. So, so three sits so far, three different stands and uh, sat there for a pretty long sit, like before daylight and ended up sitting all the way until let's say 11 o'clock. It's like a good four and a half hour sit in the, in the chilly morning. That one was a bit of a grinder. And I saw one doe, two does, uh, really spooky, maybe came into like 40 yards, didn't have a shooting lane. One came in on my hard left so I could barely see her. And as soon as they got even close, I don't know if they winded me or, or what, but they, they took right off. The one kind of bounced out and the other one just turned around and, and walked away, but sat there all morning. And then that was, that was basically all that I saw. And then the evening, we went to where the one guy had been seeing the most bucks. He'd come full draw on a decent four by two, like had a nice side with the four and then a bit of a, a kind of wonky other side that only had two, but a decent looking buck and decided not to take him. And so I sat there, we went back to camp and then went out to this, this other stand that he'd been having luck for the evening sit, got there for maybe, I want to say 1.30 and sat there till 
But that was a stand that like a like a bunch of does came in. I ended up seeing, yeah, quite a few deer, maybe seven or eight does over the course of the sit. And right at dark, I think a buck came into about 40 yards, but it had gotten so dark that I actually couldn't tell. But he was moving so significantly different than the rest of the deer. Like if it was a he, he was far more cautious. He let the other does go in. He did look bigger bodied. Like I'm pretty confident it was a buck, but again, it didn't really matter because it was so late at night. I There's no way I would have taken a shot anyways. So I, I got that out of the stand, got picked up by the side-by-side and walked back to camp. And at this point, I'm two days deep into my three-day hunt and I've sat at four stands and the one stand for sure has produced way more opportunity than any of the other ones. And not just for myself, but for other people as well. And I decided that I was gonna go up the next day and sit all day. So I had to cook, make me a lunch. And here's the other thing, in this unit and region, you can shoot two whitetail. You can only shoot one antlerless and one antlered. So you can shoot a buck and a doe, but you can't shoot two bucks and you can't shoot two does. And based on the action that we'd had on that second evening, I felt pretty confident like no matter what happens here, I'm probably gonna be able to smoke a doe. And that would make me happy. I've never had a whitetail. It would be fantastic meat. The hunts was still had its kind of own set of challenges. So I would feel very rewarded with that type of kill. I'm totally happy if that was the outcome. And I thought for sure, if we go sit this stand, I'll definitely at the very least be able to kill a doe. So I told the guy and they're like, are you sure? Like it's gonna be a long cold day. And I'm like, nah, I would rather, I'm gonna kick myself in the ass. And basically the side by side coming into there and then out of there, like it's just, it's a lot of unnecessary disturbance that really, is gonna minimize my, my potential for success. So decided I was gonna sit the whole damn day. Packed up in the morning, lots of food, lots of water, everything I would need for the day. Got dropped off before daybreak and got my way into the stand. And basically these two does that had kind of been coming in and out the whole time, they're there right away. Like the side by side's not five minutes down the hill and these, these two does are back. And the one is is a good bit bigger than the other one. And I'm thinking to myself, I kind of want to shoot this doe. Then I'm like, I've got all day. So I let those guys pass. They're gone. Maybe they were there for a good hour and a half. So let's say they're there from 7 to 8.30. And then I see nothing until 12.30. Nothing. And then at 12.30, the same two does come back. And we had a camp, uh, a buck on cam the day before at quarter afternoon. So by, by the time 1.30 rolls around and the only thing I'm looking at is these same two does that have been back for an hour, I'm thinking to myself, I should just shoot one of these things, man. This might be the only shot I got. And there was one at 30 yards, eating grain, totally broadside. Like I'm talking perfect shot. So I decided, okay, this is what I'm gonna do. So I get set up 
And the way this tree stand was, I could basically stand up, lean over to one side, and there was a tree blocking me from view. Come back to full draw, and then kind of take this shimmy step backwards, and basically just slide out from behind the tree at full draw. Sunk the pin, my, my 30 yard pin, which is my second pin, I got a five pin sight, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60. Put the 30 yard pin. Now, where I did put it is kind of right in the middle middle. So I went right at the point of the shoulder and then just went right in the middle. And I'll, I'll tell you why I'm making that point in a minute. And drew back, or I was already drawn back, kind of went through my shot sequence. I shoot a hinge and then it just let go. Nice surprise release, shot felt great. And then crack. And the way it cracked, I was like, ugh, that's not good. I smoked her, but like the way it hit, that didn't sound like double lungs. Double lungs is more like a rotten pumpkin with a baseball bat, like boom, kind of sound. And this was like definitely bones. But I'm shooting a 600 grain arrow at 80 pounds and with a you know double bevel, solid 125 grain iron wheel broadhead on there. So I'm not particularly concerned. The deer drops instantly, but is clearly not dead. She's kicking pretty good for a little bit. And what had happened when I watched it back in slow-mo is that clearly she ducked the string. And I remember telling myself before this hunt and even while on the hunt, you gotta shoot low. What I've always heard is like aim for the heart because then if they don't jump the string, you're still gonna get a heart shot. But if they do jump the string and duck, you'll probably catch mid lung because they'll have kind of crouched down six to eight inches. And I did not do that. In the kind of heat of the moment, I aim where I always aimed. And she definitely ducked the string. It turns out I the entry wound kind of horizontally was perfect, but vertically I was about five, six inches higher than I wanted to be. So I ended up catching like top lung and spine um, and ended up breaking the spine with my arrow. And I got a, I didn't get a full pass through. The arrow went all the way through except for the last four inches. And then when she was rolling around the ground, she broke that last four inches off inside her she kind of slid down this little hill, you know, she might've gone 10 or 15 yards and then she just expired. So this is like maybe 1.30 at this point. So I said, I'll give her half an hour. I'll let the place die down and I'll see what happens. So gave it half an hour, got down under the stand, dragged her kind of down to the bottom of the hill by the, where the side-by-side -side turnaround was, took a couple pictures and then went back up covered up most of the blood. And then I decided, you know what? Why don't I just get back in the stand? I mean, who knows what's gonna happen? It's not like you're hunting with a gun. Like nobody heard anything anywhere. So maybe if a buck was still gonna come in, maybe he'll still come in. Ended up sitting there till dark. Three more does came in. And this was very interesting to watch. I actually had one doe walk up, like foot for foot, the exact blood trail that she'd left on the ground between the kind of bait pile and the side-by-side -side turnaround at the bottom of the hill. Sniffing the blood the whole way, not giving a shit. So this was a pretty interesting learning experience for me because now I, I, I think based on what I've seen, I wouldn't hesitate to kill a deer 
if I could quietly get the deer out of the kind of kill zone. Like, here's what would have been the perfect way to do this is phone back to camp or text back to camp. I didn't have any cell service, but I did have a radio and say, listen, meet me three, 400 yards down the hill because these hills are so tight and rolly that you can't hear the side by side until it's right up on top of you. And I could have dragged that deer three, 400 yards down the hill, thrown it in the side by side, sent them back to camp with the deer and went back up into my stand. But anyways, two or three more does came in. One of them saw the dead doe, didn't seem to care. Another one walked right up the blood trail, didn't seem to care. They all went to the bait pile and ate the bait right where that doe had been killed, you know, an hour, two hours before, didn't seem to care. So that was really interesting to me because I had, I don't know why I thought, but I had just always assumed that if an animal smelled the blood of its own species, it would get freaked out. But no, apparently not, man, didn't at all. And it turns out nothing else of interest came in. No bucks. All the does that came in were smaller. She was definitely the nicest, kind of juiciest looking doe that came in. So I couldn't be happier. I love it. It was a great, it was a great shot. Maybe a great shot is probably, it was a good shot. The arrow went where I told it to go. Let's put that. I did not appropriately anticipate the ducking of the string, but uh, other than that, I'm very happy with kind of my shot sequence and how all that played out. Um, and then again, because I wouldn't have had an opportunity on anything else, I'm really glad I took the opportunity I did have. So yeah, they came up and picked me up in the side-by-side -side and he was, they were a little bit like, oh, you wanna go home tonight? And I was like, yeah, I gotta get home tonight. Um, so when I told them I wanted to go home tonight, they were a little taken aback because I think he was thought he was gonna have a bit of a, like just hang it up and let things kind of calm down overnight. And I was like, I'm, I'm happy to do it myself, but no, they were super great back at camp. They quartered, they quartered it up for me while I packed up my room and then fed me dinner and I, and I hopped on the way and drove, probably took six and a half hours to get home. Took a lot longer to get home because you know, it was seven, eight, nine, nine o'clock at night. Uh, and there's just a lot more traffic and it's the only route into the lower mainland for the rest of Canada right now. Both the, uh, the number one and the five are closed at the time. I don't know if one of them is probably open by now. I don't know, I'm in Mexico. I don't know what's going on back in BC other than the fact that these yahoos have seen fit to close gyms and everything else. And I'm not even gonna get started on this because it pisses me off so much, but whatever. That's, that's, maybe that's a podcast for another day. All in all, I had a riot. I loved the hunt. The people were great. Um, I would totally do it again. I think I want to do some investigation and see, maybe I can find some spots and maybe start working on my own little whitetail area and kind of set up a few of my own stands and, and see what happens. But all right, short and sweet podcast today. If you could leave a comment, like, share, subscribe, deeply appreciate that. Uh, if you need to get a hold of me, jmindfulhunter.com, hit up the shop, buy some merch, mindfulhunter.com slash shop. And from Mexico, that's all I got. So as always, thanks for tuning in.